friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to God's Word, may we all rise from our seats and we will read together the remaining passage of Jonah chapter 1. At the count of three, I'd like all of us to read together aloud, please. At the count of three, one, two, read. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful Sunday morning. We thank you, O God, for the time of worship. We thank you for reminding us of what you have done for us. Thank you for canceling all our debts. We are free men and women because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And for that, Lord, we are eternally grateful, eternally indebted to you. And our prayer, O oh God, is that this morning you might speak to us. But don't just speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in powerful ways, in ways that we would be convicted in ways that we would be convinced, in ways, Lord, that we might be moved to action. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon all of us, upon our minds and upon our hearts, O God, and even upon those who are watching us through live stream. We pray for them, O God. I pray for myself, Lord, because you know that I'm totally incapable, Lord, of ministering to your people apart from your grace and your anointing. And so I ask humbly that you might give me wisdom, that you might give me courage and boldness to be able to preach your word without compromise. 
I pray, Father, that as I speak, Lord, the words that will come out of my mouth will be powerful to change lives and to save souls. And Lord, whatever is going to be achieved this morning, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord, please. Now, this is the final installment of our very short series, which I've entitled, No Escape. And in last uh, weekend sermon, we saw that Jonah did not respond positively to the call of God upon him to preach to Nineveh. We know that Nineveh at that time was already ripe for harvest, and God wanted Jonah to preach a message of repentance to those people, lest his judgment come upon them. But we know what the response of Jonah was. Instead of obeying God, what he did was he disobeyed God. He fled from the presence of the Lord. In fact, he went the opposite direction, if you recall. Remember that he was called to go to Nineveh, which would be northeast. And so that was where he was supposed to go. If you're uh, using Israel as the point of reference, is supposed to go, he was supposed to go northeast. But instead of going northeast, he goes northwest, which was the complete opposite of what God wanted him to do. So he is legendary in a negative sense because he is the only prophet who was sent by God directly to the Gentiles. He did not just prophesy about the Gentiles. He was sent directly to the Gentiles. And yet he was a legendary in the negative sense in that he disobeyed God. He even tried to thwart the will of God. And remember, I pointed out to you the fact that sometimes people have an illusion of control. Sometimes they think that they can control situations. They can even thwart the will of God. And that was something that Jonah thought he could do. He thought he could thwart the will of God. But if there's something that he discovered, he discovered that his control was only an illusion. The truth of the matter is that only God is in control. He is the only one who is sovereign. He is the only one who is seated on his throne. Therefore, he is the one who is in control of all circumstances and of all events. And Jonah had to learn it the difficult way. Now, we know that as a result of his disobedience, as a consequence of his disobedience, there was a very powerful storm that came upon the ship that he was riding on. And of course, that was chastisement intended for this prophet of God. And we shared that it is really intriguing that an established prophet of God, somebody who had been prophesying to the northern kingdom, would actually disobey the Lord. He was not an ordinary believer. He was a prophet of God. And his glory is his mouth because that is what God was using. And yet at that moment in time, he refused to glorify God. He disobeyed God. He rebelled against him. And sometimes we do find Jonah in our hearts, don't we? 
Sometimes God commissions us to do something. Sometimes He lays out certain purposes for our lives. But because of some lame excuses, we disobey Him and we refuse to follow His call upon our lives. Now, one of the things, of course, that you and I will discover today is that the God that we serve is a God of second chances. And hopefully, we do not miss out on the opportunities that God gives to us when He gives us another chance to use whatever gifts we have, to use our skills, to fulfill our calling, to fulfill our destiny. I hope that we would be obedient to the Lord. Now, one other thing that we saw as a reason for Jonah's disobedience was a misplaced kind of patriotism. Remember that we already studied that Assyria and Nineveh actually was a threat to the nation of Israel. They were a rising nation, and we talked about the fact that this empire, the Assyrian Empire, lasted for about 400 years. And they were on the rise. They were on that zenith of power. And because of that, Jonah was afraid for his people. And you know what he wanted? He wanted more than one million people dead. Because we're talking about one million people in the city of Nineveh. He did not care about them. And here, what I would like to be able to highlight, and I think it's very important that we take a look at the bigger picture here, because the bigger picture is the heart of God. The heart of God loves Gentiles. Remember what I mentioned to you last Sunday? Sometimes because of our exposure to the Old Testament, we might think that the only nation that God loves is Israel. And we said that the only reason why God chose that nation was because He wanted that nation to fulfill certain purposes. One purpose, of course, was to become a spiritual repository of the Old Testament Scriptures. That's one reason. And another reason, of course, is that through that nation, the Messiah would be born. Now, they were not chosen by God because they were more righteous, they were not chosen by God because they were more in number. They were not chosen by God because of any merit they had in comparison to other nations. They were chosen by the sovereign will of God. It was God's choice out of love, out of His heart of love. But lest we think that God doesn't care for the rest of the world, let me correct you on that because when you go to the book of Jonah, you will see the heart of God for the Gentiles, particularly with Assyria at this time, Nineveh at this time, because remember, they were already ripe for judgment. God wanted to judge them already, but at the same time, God wanted to bring a message of repentance in the hope that they would repent lest His judgment come upon them. And so there is where you see the heart of God. The book of Ezekiel tells us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Let me say it again. The book of Ezekiel says God takes no pleasure in the death of a wicked person. 
And that's the heart of God. His heart is broken. Even when wicked people die, even when perverse, rebellious people die, the heart of God is broken for them. And that is why God reaches out to the whole world. And this is something that we see reflected in the Gospel of John chapter 1, wherein it says that He enlightens every man. And then we are also told of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come into the world so that He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so everywhere, the love of God is spread abroad. God is really trying to reach out people. And in the book of 1 Timothy, we are told that God desires for all men to be saved. Now contrast that with the heart of Jonah. And I think this is one of the pictures that we need to be able to see because the story of Jonah is not just the story of disobedience. It is actually a contrast of the heart of God and the heart of Jonah. The heart of God is big. The heart of God is magnanimous. The heart of God is gracious. The heart of God is loving. The heart of God is forgiving. That's the heart of God. In contrast, we find that Jonah did not care for these one million people. He did not care if they died. Because in his mind, he was thinking, they will destroy my country. They will probably rape our women. They will probably make our children slaves. They will destroy our houses. They will destroy our vineyards. We will lose our country. We will lose our cities. We will lose our communities. We will lose our identity. We will lose our culture. It was a case of love my own and hate others who are a threat. That was the heart of Jonah. And you and I know that was the reason why he disobeyed God. His heart was filled with hatred. And sometimes as we reflect on this, sometimes this is the kind of heart we have. Most especially as we talk about these drug dependents and drug pushers. Sometimes in our minds, we find justification that these lives are snuffed out because we're thinking they're the scum of society. Why should we care? They deserve to die. Remember what I mentioned to you last Sunday? If we were really to follow the justice of God, the Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. Now, is there anyone here who is not a sinner? I don't think so. All of us are sinners. So if you're talking about death and who is worthy of death, we're all worthy of death. We're all worthy of dying. That is, if the justice of God were to be played out in the world right now, all of us, all the billions of people in the whole world would have to die. And that is why be very careful about your heart. Be very careful what you wish for. We cannot wish death and damnation for people simply because we think we're better than them. Our desire, and this is the heart of God, the heart of God was longing for these people to come to, come to Himself. He was longing for these people to come to a saving knowledge of God, to come to repentance. 
And that should be the same kind of heart you and I are supposed to have. And friends, here's a question I have for you. And I know this is going to be quite a lengthy introduction, but I just sense in my heart and the Spirit of God leading me that I need to talk about these things. One of the things that I'd like to be able to ask you is, how is your heart towards the people outside? How do you view them? You and I know that every single day, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people die. And the question is, do we really care? As believers in Christ, as re the redeemed of Christ, as those whose names are written in the book of life, do we really care for the people outside? Do we share the gospel to them? Do we pray for their souls? Because when we do not do anything, we cannot possibly think that we are better than Jonah. Because Jonah did not care. He did not care if these one million people died. And the question is, do we have that same heart? Because the lesson, the object lesson here in the book of Jonah is that we need to have the kind of heart that God has for the world. We cannot be like Jonah who was hateful. We cannot be like Jonah who disobeyed the will of God. And friends, the Bible is very clear that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that God has commanded them. And we have two very powerful phrases right at the very beginning of that and right at the end of that. At the beginning of that, the Lord Jesus Christ said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. And then right at the end of that, he says, Lo, I shall be with you until the end of the age. Now, why do you think God gives those words to all of us? Well, He gives those words to encourage us. He gives us those words to empower us. Because when we know that all authority has been given to Christ, we know that all things are possible through Him. That He controls everything. And then there is that phrase which says, He shall be with us until the end of the age. Every single day, the presence of the Lord accompanies us. And why do you think that encouragement is given to us? Because here's the thing, and we need to face ourselves and really declare ourselves for who we really are. The fact is, the reason why Jesus said that is because He knew those disciples and we are cowards. We're scared to share the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel many times. And what would be those lame excuses that we have? Well, we're afraid of persecution. We're afraid to be mocked and laughed at. We're afraid to be teased at, to be taken as, as religious fanatics. The truth of the matter is we're cowards. We don't share the gospel. Think about this. And I was sharing this to our Saturday service. 
Our Saturday service reaches, you know, a maximum of about 200 people. And I was telling them, just think about this. If you and I invest just in one life, think about one life to share the gospel to, and not only share the gospel to, but disciple that person. Do you know that in a very short span of time, that 200 becomes already 400? Now, we're not playing the numbers game here. But you see, friends, we're talking about people. People who have souls. People who will meet a Christless eternity unless they meet Christ in their lives. And that is the concern I have in my heart. And I think that is where the book of Jonah brings us in terms of application. I recall a testimony of one of our sisters. She testified in one of our outreaches, and this is what she said. She said that she was surrounded by Christians in her company, but nobody shared the gospel to her. I would even be embarrassed to say to you that the Christians who were surrounding her happened to be from our church but they never shared the gospel. But you see, God was moving in the sister's heart such that she felt that God was calling her. And to make a long story short, she asked one of those people in her company, where do you go to church? And that is when our church was introduced and she was given directions and she came here the first time. First time, she heard the preaching of God's word. She was convicted. She came a second time. And that second time, she was so touched and so convinced of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That very day, that very Sunday, she gave her life to Christ. Hallelujah. We praise God for His sovereign election. But at the same time, give the Lord a hand, please. Give the Lord a hand. We praise God for God's sovereign election. We praise God that He can move even when we're not moving. That He can actually change the human heart and call the human heart to Himself. Praise God for His power. Praise God for His authority. But then again, yes, give the Lord another hand, please. But then again, the question is, why wasn't it that there was nobody in the company who was sharing to her? If the gospel is really precious, if the gospel is, is that treasure we find in our clays, or rather in, in jars of clay, why are we not sharing the gospel to people? If it is something that we really rejoice in, sing about, talk about, glory in, why isn't it that there is not enough people sharing the Word of God to other people? I like to think about the empty seats that you have right now. Not that we just want to fill them up for the sake of filling them up. 
But the question is, have you been investing even in one life? Think about this. Would you like 2017 to end without you sharing to a single soul? Would you like 2017 to end without you sharing the gospel to somebody? I hope this sermon is going to produce something in your heart. I don't want you coming out of this place and saying, whoa, that was a very powerful sermon. No, it's not powerful until you are moved to action. You can nod your heads. You can clap your hands. You can shout your hallelujahs. And we can, so, we can sing the final song with so much celebration. But unless you go out and share the gospel to at least one soul and bring that person to Christ, this sermon, which you might think is powerful, has really gone to waste. And friends, we don't want that. We want to have the heart of God, not the heart of Jonah. Because that's what we're seeing here, a heart that is heartless. A heart that doesn't care. A heart that wants people dead. A heart that is disobedient. So if you really think about it, is it possible, and I think it is highly probable, that there are so many Jonas in the house? That is a very distinct possibility. Many Jonas here. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to simply remain on our seats and Sunday after Sunday gather more information, gather more inputs, make ourselves spiritually fat but at the same time lazy? I hope not. And I know for certain that there are some here who take the Great Commission seriously and I commend you. I thank you. And you will have your reward in heaven. But for the rest of us who are ashamed of the gospel, let the book of Jonah convict us. Yesterday, my wife gave a text message. She was, she was somewhere, and she gave a text message to my daughter because we were going to have dinner together. And she was saying, you know what, I have some good news to share to you. And she was so excited, can't wait for you to arrive and I'd like to be able to share to you some good news. And my, my, my daughter was teasing her, well, what, what did you get? And she said, just, just, just come here and I will share. And then the moment we uh, gathered together for dinner, she began to share that she was able to share to a soul. She was able to share the gospel completely and powerfully. That the lady began to cry and weep. She, be, she began to understand, and it was, it was so mind-blowing for her, but she understood the gospel. And right then and there, she accepted Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. I was thinking to myself, how I wish that the members of Living Word 
would do the same thing. How I wish that all of us would intentionally, intentionally go out and really think about who am I going to share the gospel to today. I hope that we begin to pray and ask God, Lord, to whom do you want me to share the gospel to? To my friend, to my classmate, to my office mate, to my business partner? Lord, to whom do you want me to share the gospel to? There has to be intentionality. The supposition in the Great Commission is that we're going. The command here is to make disciples, and it is assumed that we will make disciples, or the command is given to make disciples, and the assumption is we're already going. In other words, it is natural on our part. It is a spontaneous thing on our part to share the gospel. We don't have to be forced. We don't have to be pushed. Our arms do not need to be twisted. Our hearts are just going out to the people. We're just wanting to share the gospel. That's the point of the Great Commission. And that is why we we're given that, that comfort, that comforting assurance that all authority belongs to Him and that He shall be with us until the end of the age. What does that tell you? That tells you that the moment you share the gospel, it will be accompanied by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Sure, there will be some people who will laugh and who will reject us, but not all. There will be some. There will be that remnant. There will be those whom God has elected and chosen who would respond. And it is our responsibility to gather in the harvest. God is the one who prepares the harvest, but He calls upon us to fulfill, to harvest what He has already prepared. So friends, that's the story of Jonah, really, if you take a look at the big picture. So allow me to just go back, pull back here a little bit, and just to give you a little review of what we have covered so far and what we will cover for now. So we saw the command to prophesy to Nineveh in verses 1 to 2, but we also see the disobedience in verse 3. We find the consequence, which was a powerful storm. And obviously, that was to shake the illusion of control that Jonah had. God was really knocking hard in Jonah's heart because remember, he was trying to flee from the presence of God. But with this powerful storm taking place, God was saying, Jonah, I'm here. Jonah, you cannot flee from my presence. I will be wherever you go. God was speaking to Jonah, and yet he was unmoved. And here we go to the next, the rebuke. Interestingly, the rebuke comes from a pagan captain, and not only from a pagan captain, but from pagan sailors. Isn't that interesting? People who were unbelievers were rebuking the prophet of God which means that they were standing on higher moral ground 
than the prophet himself. And I will explain and amplify a little bit the fact that in comparison to Jonah, they had a heart of love. It's not the heart of God yet, of course, but at least they reflected some form of love. In contrast, the prophet had a heart of hatred. And so, we go to the solution because the people were asking, well, how do we get out of this? How do we take the storm out of the picture? So Jonah makes a proposal. And interestingly, we find the quote-unquote conversion of the sailors. At the very least, they began to worship Yahweh. And then finally, interestingly, here's, here's something really powerful. The grace of God. You know what? Jonah deserved to die. But instead of judgment taking place in Jonah's life, God gives him grace. And that is something I'm excited to talk about this morning as well. So in the end, Jonah discovers there's no escaping the call that God places upon us. And God is willing to give us another chance. And friends, I hope that this morning is going to be a wake-up call for each one of us. It is time for us to wake up from our spiritual slumber and truly bring the gospel to where it needs to be brought to those outside. We cannot simply be glorying in the gospel continually without sharing it to the rest of the world. Paul understood this. And that is why he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, both to the Jew and to the Greek. So my hope and prayer is that we would be able to heed God's call and reflect the heart of God, a heart that truly loves people. So let's take a look at the rebuke at this time. Let's go to verse 6. It says, and this is the, the, the first rebuke coming from the captain. It, so, it says here, so the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Now, think about this. With a very powerful storm like that, and again, let me just remind you, we're not talking about a ship that was made of steel, that was made of wood. And as soon as the waves were pounding powerfully, that ship, you could hear the cracking sound. And they knew it was about to break up. And so nobody in his right mind will sleep during that time. You cannot sleep. How can you possibly sleep? The only reason why Jonah was sleeping was because he wanted to shut up the mouth of God. He wanted to stop his ears and say, I know you're speaking to me, but I'm not hearing this. I'm not listening to you. You want me to repent? You want me to go to Nineveh? I'm not going. I'm sleeping. And he was, he was really saying, you want to kill me? Go ahead. Kill me, make my day. He didn't care at all. And so, you could say, 
you could assume that he was even suicidal. He was so completely full of himself that he didn't care about what God had to say. Interestingly, the captain, who is a pagan, calls upon Jonah to pray. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is supposed to be praying at that time? The prophet of God, the man of God, the believer in Yahweh. He is the one who is supposed to be praying. But instead of praying, where do we find him? Down below, sleeping. And here, again, you see the pagan captain on a higher moral ground. And he is saying here, why don't you pray? Now, he doesn't know Yahweh, the God of Israel. And yet he realized that in his limitation, he needed a higher power for deliverance. And here was Jonah, a man of God, who wasn't doing anything about it, who didn't care at all. He was sleeping. And then the rebuke goes on, and this time with the sailors. Let's take a look at this. Verse 7. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I mean, it's one question after another, just like a machine gun. They were asking one question after another. Why do you think they were asking all these questions? Well, because of the powerful storm, they were probably thinking, this man must be wicked. If, if the lot, if, if, if we cast lots and it fell on him, this person must really be a wicked person. Maybe he killed somebody. Or maybe he massacred some children. Maybe he raped somebody. Maybe he committed a heinous crime. Who is this guy? Why is, why is, the, why is God punishing us in this way? Why this, this powerful storm? This man must have done something really, really bad. This man must really be so wicked for God to do something as powerful as this. So they asked a battery of questions. And they finally got a revelation and a confession and the confession came, by the way, not because he was repentant. Jonah was not repentant at all. It was a case that wherein he was caught red-handed. His hand was in the cookie jar, so to speak. In other words, he was caught. That is the reason why he felt he had no other choice but to finally say, you know what, this is my fault. But was there repentance? No, as we will see later on. Was there even remorse? No, there was no remorse even. In this particular case, I would even say that Judas at least had remorse when he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, when he realized that what he had done was wrong, that he had sold somebody who was innocent. At least he had remorse. Now that was still not repentance because he hanged himself. He did not turn to God. But there was guilt at the very least. 
In the case of Jonah, as you and I will see, there was no remorse even. No guilt. No sorrow in his heart. He was so backslidden that he, he was so numb to everything that was happening. He was so numb that he was so apathetic and so indifferent, he did not care at all. But what could he do? The lot had been cast and he was shown to be the culprit, forcing him to a personal revelation of himself as well as his disobedience. And here's what he said. First of all, he says, I am a Hebrew from God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And not only that, here's what he says, I fear the Lord God of heaven. Let me ask you this question. At that point in his life, was he fearing the Lord really? At that point in his life, no, there was no fear of God in his heart. At that time, yet he was saying something that was in the past. And so he was really contradicting himself when he was saying, I fear the Lord God of heaven. Because here's the thing, if we really fear the Lord, we will obey Him. If we truly revere God, we will do what He wants us to do. If we truly love God, we will not think of thwarting the will of God. So all these statements were actually nostalgia as far as Jonah was concerned. That was true before. That was no longer true now. But then he says, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea. And then all of a sudden, ding. The sailors thought, uh-oh, the God who made the sea. And what was happening at that time? A storm at sea. Of all the gods that Jonah would offend, he would offend the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land as far as these sailors were thinking. And they knew they were in trouble as Jonah said that. Then the men, we are told, became extremely frightened and they said to them, how could you do this? Again, here are pagans saying, how could you do this? How could you disobey your God? And then it even says here, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so here the sailors were, were pleading before him and saying, how could you do this? You knew this was coming. You knew this was going to happen. You knew your God was powerful. You knew that the God that you serve is the God who made the sea and the dry land. How could you do this and bring trouble in our lives as well? How could you make us a part of this mess? The sailors, again, who were pagan, rebuked him and showed that they were standing on a higher moral ground. And I think about the statement of this lady who came to Christ on her own when she gently rebuked her office mates and said, 
why didn't anybody share the gospel to me? They were the majority. And yet, they were silent. Is it possible that we are like them? That we are not concerned? That we do not have the heart of God and the compassion of God? I pray that things will start changing beginning today. I hope that you're not saying, well, that sermon was convicting, wasn't it? I hope you're not just going to say that. I hope and pray that when you go out, you're really going to start praying and saying, Lord, I'd like to invest in one life. Let not 2017 pass without me sharing to somebody, without me sharing even with one life. Notice here, it doesn't just have to be one life, but, but I'm challenging you. Is one life so difficult to invest in? Let me ask you this question. If you were paid to share the gospel, listen well. If you were paid to share the gospel, you would be hired by God as a professional. And he will say, just share the gospel. It doesn't matter who rejects you, who will accept. I'm just going to pay you for sharing the gospel. If that becomes your job and your occupation and your means of livelihood, my question is, will you share? Of course you would because you're paid. Let me remind you, Jesus paid for your sins, every single one of them. Amen? Our debt has been paid in full. And that is why, friends, why the trepidation, why the fear, why the hesitation? Why the silence? Why the apathy? Why the indifference? Why the Jonah frame of mind? Again, the sailors showed that they were standing on higher moral ground. And so we'll go to the solution because they were asking, what do we do? So let's read verses 11 to 16, please. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. 
So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men, the men rather, feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Just a little review. The sailors, if you remember, cast lots to find out who was at fault. The lot fell on Jonah, so he was, he was found out to be the culprit. They started to investigate, and Jonah confesses his sin. The sailors rebuke him, and so they ask him, what do we do to appease your Lord? How, what do we do to calm the storm at sea? And here's the solution of Jonah, throw me into the sea. That's how you know he was not repentant. Because at that point in time, what God was asking on the part of Jonah was for him to kneel down and ask God, Lord, I have sinned against you. Spare these people. These people are going to die and it's all my fault. Lord, don't do that, please. At that moment in time, the only thing that Jonah should have done was to bend his knees. Because after all, and if you will see this, if you read through the whole book of Jonah, he knew God was a forgiving God. It's not like he was thinking, God's not going to forgive me. I just committed the unforgivable sin. No, he knew that God was going to forgive him. And yet he was not willing to be forgiven. He was so backslidden. His heart was so cold. He was so selfish. He was so full of hatred. Not only of the Assyrian people, maybe at this point in time, he hated God. Because he was saying, God, how could you do this? How could you call upon me to preach to people who will destroy my country? At that time, his view of God was low. And remember this, whenever you have a low view of God, it's going to change the way you live in a negative way. You're going to live a base, sinful, wicked, rebellious life. And so instead of him bowing before the sovereignty of God. He says, just throw me into the sea. I don't care. Just throw me. However, interestingly, look at verse 13. However, the men, the sailors, rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not. For the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Now, now, take a look at this. They already knew that Jonah was the problem. And they knew that if they actually threw Jonah into the sea, the sea would become calm. The storm would stop. And they could have rationalized and they could have justified themselves. Their inner lawyer could have said, you know what? It's just one life after all. And after all, he was disobedient. That's collateral damage. Doesn't really matter. This is one life. I mean, there are so many of us, the captain, the sailors, and the, the crew. We need to save this life. But you know what? Here's where we see they were on a higher moral ground. They considered the preciousness and the value of one life. Did you see that? 
They saw the value of one life and they were willing to risk their own lives to save this one life that seemed incorrigible. What does that show? These pagan soldiers, or sailors rather, had a bigger heart than Jonah. They had a bigger heart. They had a heart of love. Yesterday, as my wife shared to this lady who started to weep and cry, my wife said, you know what? As you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says, even with one sinner, one sinner that repents, the whole of heaven is rejoicing. Jonah, however, did not care about one million people in Nineveh. He did not care about the captain. He did not care about the sailors. He did not even care about his life. He hated them all by what he was doing. Even as the sailors tried to save this solitary life, the storm got stronger. And left with no choice and in utter desperation, these sailors asked for forgiveness from Yahweh. And they were saying to Yahweh, Yahweh, you know our hearts. We don't want this man dead. But, but this is you. This is you saying, we've got to give him up. And so left with no choice, they, they throw Jonah overboard and immediately it stopped. And guess what happened? A miracle takes place. The sailors come to faith and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. What is the object lesson here? And by the way, sometimes sailors are notorious for being unfaithful to their spouses and sometimes perversion. And it would not be entirely impossible to think and assume that this was the case because the sailor's story is usually like that. Prostitutes, you know, go up. Every time they go on land, prostitutes go up. And that's why there is so much temptation. But anyway, my point simply here is this. These men, whom some would consider as incorrigible, were changed. And the object lesson here is that if God could do this in the case of the sailors, if He could save, so to speak, their souls, He could do that for the people of Assyria. He could do that for the people of Nineveh. He could bring them to repentance as well. And perhaps we're thinking, you know, these, these drug pushers, they are incorrigible. These surrenderies, they are incorrigible. As they always say, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. You know what? God is a God of miracles. Amen? He can change people. Amen? He can change lives. 
So the sailors respond to Yahweh shows that other people from other nations could respond to him in a positive way, something which Jonah did not want to happen. In spite of the storm, Jonah would rather be thrown aboard rather than repent and obey. Would you rather that God strike you for your apathy, your indifference, your laziness? Would you rather that God strike you for your lame excuses? Jonah was willing to be killed on the spot because he was so belligerent, so stubborn, so self-willed. He was not going to listen to God. He was not paying attention to the chastisement and the dealings of God upon his soul. May it not be in our case. Yet here's something really powerful. If you were God, and Jonah said, I don't care, Lord. Throw me aboard. Want to kill me? Go ahead. If you were God, what would you do with Jonah? You'd probably say, all right, bye-bye. That's what you want, bye-bye. You want to die? Go ahead. We would probably abandon somebody who is belligerent, stubborn, rebellious, backslidden. Let him die. He deserves it. Not God. Not God. His heart is so big. Look at what happens here. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. This was not, you know, some of us would assume that this was further punishment on the part of Jonah, but rather what I see here is grace. Because if God ultimately wanted to judge Jonah, he could have let Jonah drown. By the way, this is a literal story. Again, we're talking about something that's not an animation or a cartoon biblical story. No, we're talking about the real thing. And it has been documented that there are some people who have actually survived being swallowed from, you know, being swallowed rather by big fishes. Now, by the way, it doesn't tell us if this is a whale. We don't really know. But it has been documented that people have survived. So what was this all about? What was this big fish all about? This is grace. This is a second chance. This is God saying to Jonah, Jonah, you have been so hateful, so disobedient, so belligerent, so self-willed. You have been so hateful. You don't have love in your heart. You, you're not willing to forgive. You don't care at all. You don't care if one million people die. You didn't care about the sailors. You didn't care about the captain. But Jonah, let me tell you, even if that is your heart, I care for you. I love you, Jonah. I'm not giving up on you, Jonah. And I'm sending you this big fish. And I'm sending this big fish to you so that you might know I love you, Jonah. I want you to repent. I want you to return to me. I want you to have the same heart I have, a heart of love. I want you to have that heart. 
I want you, Jonah, to be obedient to me. And so, Jonah, as we follow through the story in chapter 2, began to have some realizations. And he began to see the, the hardened heart that he had. He began to see a heart that did not have any compassion. A heart that was so self-willed, so selfish. A heart that was love your own, hate others kind of a heart. And he just had this realization how good my God is. How gracious my God is. If there are Jonas in the house today, and I assume there are many, know this. God loves you. Know this, that He cares for you. Know this, that at one moment in your life, He saved your soul. At one moment in your life, He made you realize your need for Him. And that is why you came to Him. And as we now have this wonderful treasure in jars of clay, which we are, Let our hearts overflow in love towards the world that needs the light and the love and the redemption of God. Amen? Give that to God. God is a God of second chances. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'd like you to think long and hard about this sermon this morning. Definitely, I'm not going to be preached preaching this again for a long, long time. I don't see myself doing that. But I hope that this sermon has accomplished something in your heart. And I'd like you to think about investing even in just one life, one life for 2017. And that's not hard. You and I know it is not hard at all. But we want to start from there. And if right now this, this word has brought conviction in your heart and, and you really feel God has spoken to you, and you are right now thinking, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to invest in one life. I'm going to share the gospel to one person. I'm going to disciple that person. I'm going to mentor that person. I'm going to feed that person with spiritual things. 
if that is what you are thinking of right now, and you're thinking, but can I do it? I'd just like to remind you what Jesus said, all authority has been given to him and that he shall be with us till the end of the age. Here's what I can do for you. If you are intending to make this really intentional in your life, I'd like to pray for you. And those who want to make that decision to invest in one life, just in one life, and maybe even more, for 2017, I'd like you to stand up from where you are, and I will pray for you. You want to make that commitment that you will invest in one life. I will pray for you. Yes. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. You have spoken to your people. And you have shown us the bigness of your heart. And as we have studied the book of Jonah, we see ourselves in Jonah. Sometimes we have prejudged people already, and deep down in our hearts, because we want a safe city, we want a safe community, we want people who are a threat to our safety to die. After all, we think they deserve it. But when we think in those terms, Lord, that's not you thinking through us. Because you said in your word that you do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Your heart is broken. Bible says that you desire all men to be saved. And we remember how you wept over Jerusalem. And you cried out, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I wished that I could gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not have it. And you wept, oh Lord, you wept, you cried. Tears just flowed down your cheeks, oh God. You could not bear the thought of people just rejecting you even as you reached out to them in love, oh Father. That's your heart. Give us your heart this morning, O oh God. Give us your heart. Give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of love, Father. Give us your eyes so that we might see this world the way you see it. Take away the selfishness. Take away the, the anger in our hearts. Replace it with love, forgiveness, compassion, kindness, 
grace. Give us your heart, Jesus. Oh, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you for this morning, oh God. Thank you for this short series. And we pray, Father, that this will somehow steer something new in church. That this will propel us to being moved into action, following your will, fulfilling the great commission. And thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we trust that the Spirit of God will just perform His work. And we thank you, Lord, that we could also give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Please use them for the glory of your holy name. And would you be so kind, Lord, to bless us in return, not because we're greedy people, but because we want your name to be exalted and we want your kingdom extended. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.